And welcome back to another episode of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside Jonah Tolls. Jonah, the Super Bowl is out of the way, man. And I have to ask you, your prediction, you know I have to brag, I did choose the Chiefs, and you chose the 49ers. But how are you I feeling did. about the Super Bowl, man? How, did, how, how was your entire experience with the Super Bowl? Did you watch it with the family, or how did things go for you? Yeah, man, I watched it with a group of friends, like I always do. But, you know, I wasn't really rooting for one team. Of course, you know, we're both fans of different teams. So I, we're just rooting for a good game. We're, and that's exactly what we got, man. You're talking about the four hours were up 20 to 10 going to the fourth quarter, scoring 21 unanswered points. It was really 14 if you take away that last touchdown. So, I mean, that it was just a great game. It was one of the best Super Bowls I've watched in the last, you know, five, ten years. In terms of just back and forth action, good defense, good offense, there's nothing much you can ask for. I think those were two, truly the two best teams in the NFL going at it. And I think, you know, the, the rest of the NFL can learn a lot from those two teams and why they got there. But the 49ers is that defense still wins championships. You know, they didn't win the Super Bowl, but they were the best team in the NFL in the NF, from the NFC side. And a big reason was because Robert Sala's defense and Nick Bosa and the impact he had, it almost won them a Super Bowl. I mean, with the Chiefs, is that, you know, explosive playmakers, guys like Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman, and Travis Kelsey down the seam, Damian Williams in the backfield. Those still make a big difference as well. So speed and difference makers on both sides of the ball, that's what a lot of NFL teams can learn from. That's why we're uh, discussing in terms of draft impact. Those are the two takeaways that the rest of the NFL is going to learn from this game. Definitely, man. It was a really fun game to watch, and it got a, it got off to a bit of a slow start. You know, it was a bit back and forth early on, but there wasn't anybody really punching it in as far as in the end zone. But I thought it picked up a bunch in the second half, and Patrick Mahomes, man, he's just incredible. Like, the sky's the limit for that guy, and it's just such a pleasure to watch him play. I'm so happy for Andy Reid. You know, all the Eagles days and the Eagles failures that he did endure during his career. 15 years later, and then 50 years later for the Chiefs since their last Super Bowl appearance, for them to actually win it in the fashion that they did was just incredible. So kudos to them. It was really cool. But unfortunately, the NFL season is over. But we have the XFL coming up. Are you going to check that out this weekend? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's always great to you know watch football whenever you can. But I mean, it's I think it's always interesting to kind of see what they what the product is and who's playing and who's and you know what's going on there. So I'll definitely be able to sure check it out. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say, you know, whether or not we've been keeping up with it the rest of the year, but, you know, it's always interesting to check it out. It's kind of like, you know, the the Star League we had in the spring, you know, or, or last year. So I, I really want to just see what, what's going to happen with it. Hopefully it's like a feeder system league to where a lot of guys can, you know, work their way up to the NFLs. I think that's the ultimate goal of the XFL is for guys to play their way into the league. So we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with it. I think it should be interesting. So there is a team in Dallas, I believe. Yes, the Dallas Renegades. Absolutely. I would be tempted to check that out if I was you. <laughs> hey, <laughs> just to see the experience. Listen, Matt, I think it would be pretty cool. I mean, I think it's, I think it's only two timeouts per team, perhaps, yeah. something like that. And then the halftime's like like half the time it is uh, from the NFL games. Like it's just a like it's supposed to be a shorter game, and but like I, I just have, don't know really what, really what to expect because the old XFL. That was more like WWE yeah. entertainment, right? <laughs> yeah. This one, I feel like it's going to be more like, I'm not going to say NFL Europe, but like almost kind of that sort of way to where you want to make it toward like a feeder system league to where, where people want to take it seriously, where NFL teams will take it seriously. So I hope that's what it is, and I hope it doesn't go back to the old XFL. But we, we, should, we should definitely see what happens. I'm definitely going to keep an eye on it. 
it's going to be interesting to see exactly what the product does look like just because there is some rule changes. There's a bit of a different vibe around it. You know, special teams is a little bit cut in half in a sense with kickoffs and everything right. of that nature. So it's going to be a bit different. Maybe we see the NFL adopt some rules from what they saw in the XFL just because I think the AAF has some really good stuff that the NFL should adopt as well. But you always worry about the longevity of these types of leagues just because you don't know exactly how long they're going to last. But I think the one thing that's different from this league, as opposed to what we have seen in years past, is just the money that's been pumped into it. Vince McMahon, Oliver Luck, they've done a tremendous job with that. Right. I mean, what you got Vince backing it, you got a bunch of investors behind it and you know, it's, you're never going to be able to compete with the NFL. And that's why a lot of these startup leagues end up flaming out. When when Vince has the money towards something, I think it's going to, you know, they're they're just going to give it a shot. Right. And so it's not going to be like this some flame. I don't think it's going to be the AAF. I think it's going to be bigger than that. And hopefully, I, I, you know, produces more NFL talent out of it, gives people a legitimate shot at working their way to the league. Um, but yeah, I, I really do believe this thing will uh, at least, you know, stick around for a little bit. I don't think it'll flame out like it did the old XFL wise or even the AAF, what happened, you know, last year. But yeah, it's really interesting to see just because I think Vince McMahon, I think he learned a lot from his past experience with the XFL. So, it should be interesting to watch. I mean, you know, spring football, it's always great to see football sticking around here, you know, year round. You know, it's not just draft season, but it's also the XFL starting back up. I think that was one of the best things that they did was started the week after the Super Bowl is over just because there's always a huge gap between the end of the NFL season and then the combine. It just seems like there's a super long wait. But I thought the XFL did a great job with scheduling the games right that next weekend after the Super Bowl, just because fans still have that itch. They still want to see some football on TV. So there's going to be a lot of intrigue about the league. And just looking at these rosters, man, they have some really talented players and some guys that really flamed out of the NFL, but they have some guys that are searching for their way and trying to get back on maybe some practice squads or, you know, be that last guy on the 53 man roster. So I, I think with the type of hungers that some of these guys are going to play with in this league, I think it's going to be a very good product early on. But like you said, it's just going to be the longevity factor of how long it does last. Right. So, so what team is, uh, is your boy Josh Johnson playing on? He is on the LA Wildcats. Oh yeah. yeah he's, he's like the, it's like one of the biggest names on in, yeah. in the, in the league. I mean, this guy played, you know, was a journeyman quarterback, you know, productive backup, um, just played for a lot of teams. I think he brings that NFL experience. So, the more like I guess legitimate players that play in this league that gives it kind of that legitimacy, that reputation. I I think it's only going to be better for the XFL. Like I said, the XFL this this XFL 2.0 it can't go back to what it was in terms of WWE entertainment factor because no one's going to take it seriously and the NFL is not going to take it seriously. So the best thing this league can be is kind of like that G League for the NBA, like like but it's the NBA it could be for the NFL. That's why I truly think the best way it could be. I and mean, we're seeing was the guy from West Virginia, um, the safety, Kenny Robinson. Kenny Robinson, exactly. Is yeah. now in the NBA, you're seeing a lot of guys go straight to the G League as opposed to going to college basketball. I think this could kind of be the same sort of thing, to where you go to the XFL, make some money, and but then you go to the NFL. Uh, it would not surprise me if if the XFL can, the best thing the XFL can be is get that popularity where high school kids go straight to the XFL as opposed to college. Then you got the NCAA and XFL fighting over people. That's the best case scenario, I think, for the XFL. The XFL realizes it can't compete with the NFL. That'll never happen. But what it can do is compete with the NCAA for some of these guys. 
And you bring up a really good point with Kenny Robinson just because I actually was writing up his report and I completely forgot that he's actually eligible like to be an early round selection in the draft this year just because he gets a little bit lost in the shuffle just because he's already in the XFL. And I think he might could be a trendsetter as far as maybe people are wanting to leave the NCAA early and they just want to go ahead and get paid. They play in the XFL for a year. Then they're going to be an early round selection. You play against some really good competition, some NFL-like oh, competition. Absolutely. So he, he might be a trendsetter. Absolutely. And, and you know, like guys, I don't know if you keep up with like high school, college basketball a lot, but you know, LaMelo Ball and you know, RJ yeah. Hampton, yeah. two of the biggest high school kids, they went to Australia. Um, to play basketball instead of play college basketball. This is, this, there's not obviously not like yeah. there's no like NFL Europe anymore. There's no more like there's no like European teams playing American football overseas, right? That you can really get better at like these guys can do in basketball. The XFL can legitimately be that kind of route where you know if you want to make money, you want to play against legit talent like NFL veterans and get that kind of experience. This can kind of be that other route. And like I said earlier, with the NCAA. And with all the restrictions it put on you, you know, you know, you play two, you play at least more than two years of play. I mean, it's just like it, you have the the XFL can just be that sort of route, like the international route is for some of these high school athletes. So it's really, really interesting to watch. I think Kenny Robinson, you make a great point there. He can be that first guy to really say, "Hey, I, you know, became an early round draft pick, not because I went to college or because I finished my career in college, but because I finished my career at the XFL." and got better at football as opposed to, you know, wasting my time in school where, you know, a lot of these kids, you know, they spend two years, two or three years in college and they never get their degree. They go straight to the NFL. That's, that's what their plan is. So it, it's, it's going to be really interesting to watch. And I think that's the best case scenario for the XFL is to be that feeder system alternative route as opposed to being a competitor. I definitely agree. It's going to be an interesting factor to watch, but just, Honing in and bringing back our topics on schedule, some of the things that we're going to discuss today is we're each going to list three underrated prospects that we think is a bit underrated going into the NFL scouting combine here scheduled to start uh, in a couple of weeks. We're about three weeks out from it, I believe. So really interested to see exactly who your three underrated guys are. And then at the end of today's show, I had a sit-down conversation with former Auburn offensive tackle Prince Tegobonogo. A very, very good and interesting conversation. So I'll be sure to bring that in at the end of the show. So make sure to stay tuned for that. And we're going to bring you guys plenty of prospect interviews as we go along the draft process as well. Really interested to get that out to you guys. But, Jonah, I want you to kick this thing off, man. Who is your first underrated prospect? You know, and we talked a lot about my big board on the last podcast, whether it was Matt Pert, you know, uh, Jeff Gladney, Jalen Rager, and those kind of guys. I want to touch on guys we haven't normally talked about in this podcast before to our listeners. One of those players is Jalen Johnson from Utah. And in this cornerback class, you know, we got big names like Jeffrey Okuda, C.J. Henderson, Trayvon Diggs, all these players that a lot of people know about. Jalen Johnson is the best cornerback prospect no one's talking about. And I, I understand a lot of people, you know, have him probably in that 50 to 60, 70 range right now because he played at Utah. And a lot of people watch for Utah because on the West Coast, you know, that's very late for a lot of us East Coasters and Central Time guys. So it's, you know, a lot of, not a lot of people watch Utah play this year. But Jalen Johnson, to me, was the most improved cornerback, you know, maybe other than Damon Arnett from 2018 to 2019. Uh, I think this guy's an elite athlete. He's going to run, you know, close to sub 4-4, jump really good. Um, but, you know, the tape is just what jumps out at you, whether it's man coverage and press man, off man. 
He has elite reactive quickness. And I love his ball skills and zone instincts. What I wrote in my scouting report on Jalen Johnson is, I hope a lot of people see this when they watch him as well, is that he plays with such an opportunistic mindset. He's always thinking to myself, how I can make a play. And, you know, as a cornerback, you know, you get paid to make plays on the ball and get paid to, you know, make plays in coverage. And Jalen Johnson, to me, is just a natural playmaker. And he's only about six foot, 200 pounds, but he might be the, like, he might be the one of the best press man corners in this entire draft. And I know he doesn't fit the characteristics of your six foot two, 205 pound press man corner, but his patience, his quickness, his eye discipline, it's all there for him to be a really good boundary corner. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jalen Johnson. He ended up coming in as number as my 28th overall player, an early second round grade. I do think he has to work on, you know, I think at the catch point, and not getting boxed out, I think that length, that lack of length really hurts him in terms of contesting everything. But his physicality, his play strength, he's just one of those guys who plays a physical brand of football, and I love his patience and quickness at the line of scrimmage. I'd be surprised if he falls out of the top 30 to 35 picks in this draft just because of the kind of production he's had, the kind of athlete he is, and the tape he has. But Jalen Johnson checks all those boxes for me. He's a top five corner in this class. I'm really glad that you mentioned him just because he kind of gets lost in the shuffle of this cornerback class. And I think a lot of people are really starting to forget about him. And you're seeing other guys arise around the league. You know, we've talked about Noah from Auburn, Igbenomini. We've talked about him a lot. And Jalen Johnson's name has continually, I don't want to say got lost in the shuffle, but he seems to be the forgotten about guy in this group for whatever reason. So I'm really glad that you brought him up. And it seems that you're a huge fan of him. Of course, you know, I value your opinion very highly, especially when it comes to cornerback prospects. And I really liked him once I went back and rewatched him. I loved his click close anticipation skills. And now he breaks down to the ball. Ball skills are really, I won't say elite, but very good, well yep. above average. So uh, I'm a big fan of Jalen Johnson. I, I, I like I like what he showed. I'll give you a hot take here. And I know a lot of people are going to probably turn off the podcast when they hear this, but <laughs> especially a lot of LSU fans, I think he's a better player than Christian Fulton. And okay. I know that his, Christian Fulton and Jalen Johnson are very similar in a lot of regards, right? Elite right. reactive quickness. Guys who stay sticky on the hip pocket, mm-hmm. great when they're clicking close. I think the one thing that separates Johnson and Fulton is that play strength factor. And I'm really worried about Fulton's play, lack of play strength, whereas I think Jalen Johnson's physicality is one of his biggest strengths. So I'm really you know, concerned about Fulton in one regard, but I think Johnson has the upper hand on that. And I think their physical profile is so similar. They play so similar in terms of coverage and man of their eyes. But it's that play strength thing that I think really separates Johnson from Fulton. And if you told me that you have Johnson over Fulton in this class, kudos to you because I really do believe Johnson is going to be the better pro than Fulton when he gets to the next level. Wouldn't doubt that at all. And I think a lot of people are really going to be surprised at how some of the NFL teams have these guys stacked on their board. And there's going to be, of course, 32 different orders as far as how they have these cornerback prospects listed but I think there's going to be some surprises that make us go whoa early on in this draft just because nobody really knows exactly every team's exact order but there's going to be some surprises along the way but I want to get to my first guy and I think this guy I don't think he's necessarily underrated I think he just might be undervalued a little bit and that's Cam Akers the running back from Florida Mm. State 
big fan of him. And it's not just because I'm a Florida State fan. I, 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 I really <laughs> like what he showed last year. And if it's really hard to watch his film just because the offensive line is so bad, man. And he just managed to produce every single time right. he did step on the field. He didn't get frustrated. He just kept playing ball and he kept producing. And that's the type of attitude that you want to see, especially out of a running back. A bit of a younger guy, still only 20 years old. He'll be 21 years old in June. And that matters to me a lot, especially at the position like running back to where yep. we know it's such a disposable position where and tear really comes and goes with these guys. And they don't last usually outside of their second contract with teams. So, I like Cam Akers. I think I think he's a bit underrated as far as what he provides on third down and in the passing game. He can serve to be a better pass protector. I will say that about him, but I think that's an improvable trait. Does need to carry. He, he does need to hang on to the football a bit more. I believe he had ten fumbles in his career, so that's a right. bit of an alarmingly high number. But we've seen ball security is something else that you can't improve upon. It's just coaching things that that can help you fine tune those areas. But as far as you know, what he brings to the table, his hustle. His, his breakaway speed, I think he's going to run 4-4. If he does hit 4-4, man, you talk about a guy that definitely could go in the second round. And he reminds me a bit of Mark Ingram. What do you think about that comparison? That's interesting. I feel like Cam Akers has a little more juice than Ingram does. Yeah, faster Mark Ingram. But, but I will say, though, that there is not a running back in this class, maybe other than J.K. Dobbins, who played with more improved vision and patience from 2018 to 2019 than Cam Akers. Right. I think Cam Akers really – I think he knows he's a great athlete. I think he tried to force too many runs last year, whether it was bouncing runs outside too early or not trusting his blockers. I think he wanted to force runs too much last year. This year, I think he had more confidence in his offensive line. I think he was able to kind of just get what was blocked, but he has the juice to really you know, take off once he gets to the second level. He make guys miss. I love his ability to, you know, work on third downs, whether it was a, a pass pitcher or a pass protector. And I know he needs to work on his technique, you know, whether it was, you know, you know getting in his base and pass protection and, you know, his timing and all that. But I, he, shows, he shows a willingness to get there. He shows a willingness to get physical. And he's a natural hands catcher with the, when he gets the ball. I think sometimes he tries to run, run before he catches the ball. And I think that's some of where he gets the drops. But this is a guy that I think is going to be a very good, three down back for some team. And you mentioned that his youth and at the running back position, that is so key just because you mentioned that, you know, a lot of these running backs, they don't get a second contract to be a starter. Your, right. your starting window in the NFL is usually a rookie contract. And, and who knows with the new CBA, what's going to happen there. So Cam Akers to me, I, I think he's a slam dunk day two pick. And I think he's just outside my top five running backs, or he might be my fifth ahead of Zach Moss. Um, but, yeah, I think the only difference between Akers and Moss to me is that Akers has more juice and has that long speed to break away those big runs. I think Moss is just more complete in terms of – he said the ball security is a big, is a big question mark with Akers. Just as it was Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor is also a guy we, we need to watch with fumbles. But Cam Akers, to me, you mentioned it, complete back. I, I don't hate the Mark Ingram comparison because that whole complete skill set. And I think he really too, you know, fine-tuned his game from 2018 and 2019 and that was huge for his draft. Like, that's exactly what he needed to show here in his junior season at Florida State. Definitely agree. I'm glad we agree on that. Just because we've said back and forth all the time that we usually have a similar scouting eye. So really glad that we agreed on that. So uh, before we get into our last two guys, we're going to take a quick break. And here is a word from our sponsors. 
All right, and we are back to discuss the last two underrated players that we think or that we have on our list going into the NFL scouting combine. So with that being said, who is your second guy? Man, and you know what? This guy's the forgotten player. I did my big board and I almost forgot putting him in there because I thought he, I forgot he was in draft class. We talk about guys like Kenny Robinson. We forget he's going to be an early round pick. And this guy was supposed to go to the Senior Bowl, and but he got hurt and wasn't able to participate. He was one of the top tackles throughout the preseason for the draft or before the uh, this college football season may I had. And he's going to be one of the first tackles drafted. And that's Lucas Niang from TCU. A lot of people forget about him in this class. I This guy was getting first-round buzz in August. Then when he got hurt midseason, it, was like it all died off. And now mm-hmm. he's like a third, fourth-round pick. I don't think the NFL is going to view him that way. I think the NFL is going to view him. If his medical is clear out, he's going to sneak up into that top 30 territory. And I mentioned that fifth-year option. A lot of teams are going to try to trade up for those offensive tackles. We always see it happen. We saw it for Caleb McGarry last year with the Falcons. So this is a team – this is a player, Lucas Niang, who I think he has all the traits you look for in a guy, you know, left tackle, where is the production. He has the length. He has the foot quickness. This is a guy that is kind of the prototypical left tackle. If he didn't get hurt, we're talking about him as a first-round pick in yeah. almost every mock draft. And this guy went up against good class rushers in the Big 12. He shut down everybody he faced, and it's has a nasty, nasty run blocker. His tape is so good. It's just a shame that not a lot of people have watched were able to watch him this year because of the injury. And, you know, subsequently, you know, he kind of fell out of favor in a lot of you know, draft communities mock drafts because, you know, they weren't able to see him. They kind of forgot about him. He's talking about Jalen Johnson being lost in trouble in this cornerback class. Lucas Niang is like the Jalen Johnson his offensive tackle class. Mm-hmm. And he's, we talk about guys like Josh Jones, uh, Makai Becton, Austin Jackson as those, you know, next tier guys after the top three and Andrew Thomas Wirfs and, you know, Jedrick Wills. I think Lucas Niang deserves to be in that second tier. And I think he definitely deserves to be in that range Whereas late first round, early second round, you know, that turn, you know, where Cody Ford got drafted by the Bills last year in the second round. I can see Lucas Niang drafted right around that range as well. So keep an eye on Lucas Niang. Don't forget about him in this class because he's a damn good player. You watch his tape, it will blow you away. Do not forget about him in this offensive tackle class. And the one thing that I think is going to hold him back from possibly being even a day two selection is the hip. We know that's really the thing that kept him out of the senior bowl for the most part. He didn't even get to finish the final parts of last season just because of the hip injury. So he's had plenty of time to recover. So medicals are going to be really big for him at the combine. So we'll see what happens with that and that situation. That right, is definitely right. something and, to and, monitor. And, and that's the asterisk, right? It's that, yep. you know, will his medicals clear? Because you remember the situation. You're a Vikings fan, so you remember the T.J. Clemmings deal. Yeah. T.J. Clemmings wants to be a late first round or second round guy. And then he had he had his injury concerns, and he got medically red flagged, fell all the way down to day three, and surprised everybody. So it, it would not surprise me if Lucas Niang went in the first round. It would not surprise me if Lucas Niang went in the fourth, fifth round. It depends on those injuries. But do not forget about him. Do your homework on him because if his medicals clear out, he'll be one of the top tackles in this draft. He definitely will. And I'm interested to see exactly what, he, what happens with his medicals just because we always hear something coming out of the combine. The crazy story of somebody being red flagged and, you know, we were really caught by surprise with some of the red flags at the Senior Bowl of some unfortunate guys that that happened to at the Senior Bowl as well. So that's something that we definitely will be monitoring. But 
I'm going to get into my second guy, and I think this is a guy that definitely has been forgotten about in this loaded wide receiver class. And mm-hmm. he's not going to be in the first tier, even the second tier. But as far as guys that I think can contribute from the first day they hear their name called or even the first day in rookie minicamp, I think he can definitely be an instant impact type of contributor as even a wide receiver three or wide receiver four if it comes down to that. And it's Isaiah Hodgins from mm. Oregon State. I'm a big fan of him. I love everything that he brings to the table. You talk about size, length, catch radius, separation ability. Now, I think he needs to gain a little bit of weight just so he can be improve his play strength and play a little bit better through contact. But as far as route running, I think he has it. I think he has plenty of polish to his routes to create separation. He reminds me a bunch of Josh Reynolds when he was coming out of Texas yes. a I think that's a very fair comparison. And we saw how Josh Reynolds has really translated, maybe not as a high-end you know, wide receiver one or wide receiver two, but as a third or fourth guy in the middle of the depth chart. I think Isaiah Hodgins can be a similar type of contributor. I 100% agree with you on that Josh Reynolds comparison. For that long, lanky guy who's kind of a fluid route runner, and it doesn't make sense because of his physics, the tall guy who can really separate. That's what you see Isaiah Hodgins. Whether well, it's an outsider in the slot, this is a guy who can create separation in man coverage. He's a man coverage winner. And if you go back and watch that Oregon State-Utah game where he went up against Jalen Johnson, man, there were some good battles in that game. And, yeah. and so I was, I was covering a little bit of Pac-12 this year for the Draft Network. And just for context, Isaiah Hodgins went on a stretch to where he had like 150-plus yards in like five straight games. He had 150 plus yards or like multiple touchdowns in three or four straight games. And then he went against Utah and that stretch stopped because he played against a guy named Jalen Johnson on the outside. <laughs> so it, it's, it, there's a lot of context in here for that, but Isaiah Hodgins, not enough, not enough people are talking about him, how productive he was. And it's like the PAC 12, right? I mean, Michael Pittman Jr. is a hundred catch receiver out of USC, one of the most prestigious programs in all of college football. And no one's talking about him as an early-round guy. Yeah. And then we got Isaiah Hodgins doing the same thing for Oregon State, essentially. But no one's talking about him because he's from Oregon State. So it's, it's going to be really interesting because I think the combine is going to be so huge for him. How fast does he run? And how is he going to look in the, in the drills and the jumps and all that? Because I think the 40 times going to be such a big thing for his draft stock. I see more of a 4-5-5 five, five guy, to be yeah. honest with you. I, agree. Uh, I just don't think I just don't think he's a burner. I don't think he's really gonna flash him over the athleticism. But he's just one of those like nifty fluid guys who really just create separation with kind of some savvy route running. And he has he has strong hands, man. No one's talked about how you know nat- natural a hands catcher he is. There was one play, I can't remember what game it was, but he made like a like just a behind across the body kind of catch, you know, with, with his hands outside his frame. This is a guy who's going to be able to snag the ball in the air and win against man coverage with a separation. Just going to be a matter of time for, you know, how fast is he going vertically? I think the four times going to be a big indicator of that, obviously. So it's going to be interesting to watch his draft like after the combine because it can either really rise if he, you know, runs a little faster than we thought, but it could also, you know, be, you know, in that day three kind of range if he runs somewhere four, five, four, six. We'll see what happens with him. I think he's going to run high four fives, low four sixes. That wouldn't surprise me at all if he does touch four six, just because he seems right. like that type of guy on tape. Right. But he knows how to separate, and that's the one thing I think that does give me a little bit of security about him as far as his draft stock and how well he could end up being. 
So really excited about him, especially to see how he tests at the combine. But going to go ahead and get into our last guy. So who was your last guy on your most underrated list? Man, I'm going back to the offensive tackle well, my friend. And I'm going to LSU left tackle Sadiq Charles. Have you watched this guy? I Well, I watched him early on this season, and I watched yep. him over the summer. So I haven't seen his updated stuff. Right, let me tell you, so he was really weird case. So he was suspended for half the season this year for mm-hmm. just team violations. It, I don't know only anybody knows what happened there except Coach O and Sadiq Charles. There's no one else has been reporting it. I, I we'll probably hear something from the combine about it. You will have to answer that in team interviews for sure. But when he came back, always for the latter half of the, of the season, the biggest games, right? Florida, you got the Alabamas, you got the college football playoffs. You're talking about Clemson, you're talking about Oklahoma. These are the biggest games, and he showed up. He played the best games of his career, I thought. You know, in terms of 2018 stuff, I was I was just kind of, man, he's kind of just a guy, right? Yeah. He took his game to another level this year, man. With His foot quickness is just uncanny. There was a play where he reached out to the linebacker on the second level on a, on a sweep, and, man, he got out there like a tight end. This guy moves extremely well, and it just surprised me when I heard that he violated team violations and you know suspended from the team because I watched his tape this year, and man, he's like always run, always you know playing through the whistle, always celebrating with teammates. After there was one play against Oklahoma, or I think it was Justin Jefferson had like a seventy-yard touchdown run or a catch, and he ran all the way down to the end zone to celebrate with him. Man, I love that kind of you know drive and competitiveness and just love as a teammate. And, you know, like I said, his foot quickness, his ability to stop, you know, pass rushers off the edge with his length and, you know, fluidity to mirror them around the arc. I think he's a ready-made pass protector. I worry about his nastiness in the run game. I don't think he has that, but he does have some power in his hands. I think that's what you need as a pass protector run blocker. Um, So as a tackle, I'm more worried about your pass protection as opposed to where you're a guard. I'm more worried about your nastiness and your mauling in the run. Um, But, yeah, I really do believe he's a ready-made pass protector guard these, you know, athletic edge rushers at the, at the next level. And to me, I think he's a top 50 player if his, you know, background checks out. Rob's got to answer questions about why he was suspended because no one absolutely knows. But this is a guy who thinks he's going to light up the combine. If, he's, if his arm length is, you know, more than 33 inches, which is kind of the threshold, yeah, I'm all in on him being a top 50 guy in this class. Definitely, and I'm interested to go back and actually watch him, man. I'm finally circling back to some of these guys that I haven't gotten to get to since the summer. So the uh, one guy that I watched today was Patrick Queen, man. Oh, my mm. God. <laughs> that dude is legit, man. He is legit. I see he's why the, he's getting first-round hype. Oh, you know, you know what Patrick Queen is? Patrick Queen is the hammer to the nail. That's what yeah. he is, man. This guy will come up and hit you. Yeah. And you, 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 know what, you know what I wrote my scouting for is – you watched Malik Harris from Ohio State, right? Mm-hmm. So I wrote he's a faster, more athletic Malik Harris. <laughs> because Malik Eat, Harris man. will hit you in the hole, man. Yeah. Malik Harris will stack and shed you. He will meet you in the hole. Patrick Queen will do all that, but he is lights out in coverage too. Yeah. So he's going to be competing for that second linebacker spot on my board for sure. So Patrick Queen, I'm glad you mentioned him because he's a stud for LSU. Man, he reminds me so much of Eric Kendricks coming out. I think he's even more violent than what Kendricks was. Oh, I, I, I think so too. Yeah, I think yeah, so too. Man. Eric Kendricks to me was 
a little more superior in coverage. Yeah. As opposed to Queen, but Queen, man, he's just as athletic in my opinion, and he's just more powerful. So that's one of the first words you come to mind when we watch Queen's tape is violent. Uh, yeah. Violence, dude. Urgent, like, man. Just like Malik Harrison, he'll come up and hit you in the hole, man. Yeah. He doesn't care anything about his body. Like he, <laughs> he's like the Carl Joseph of linebackers. Oh, Remember Carl I, Joseph I coming Carl out Joseph where he so just torpedoed everybody. Oh yeah, it's him that Keanu Neal too. Yeah, man, that dude. I was really, really impressed with this film. He's probably going to be a top twenty-five guy for me, definitely, man. I was, I, I, I like this film a lot. I just like to point out that I love the fact that we went from talking about Sadiq Charles to just on the fly talking about Patrick Queen and his violence. Right. <laughs> That's what happens when you're having fun, man. So I got to reel this thing back in, though, and uh, talk. stand on the subject with linebackers. Um, I'm going to talk about my last guy, and you know probably where I'm going with this. Yep. We talked about this down at the Senior Bowl. This is a guy that played in the Senior Bowl. I love these long, lanky, athletic outside linebackers. So the last guy that I'm going to talk about is Cam Brown, the oh, yep. outside linebacker guy, from State. I loved everything that he showed at the Senior Bowl and just talking to him after practice. They played him at Mike, they played him at Will, and they played him at Sam, and he welcomed that. And he was just so bubbly about it, just a great personality, loved talking to him. He was just happy to be there. And I think his best football is ahead of him just because he's still kind of trying to figure things out. Still very raw. I think he's going to get better as he gets more reps at one defined position. Now, I would play him at will. I think that's where his best position is going to be just because I think you can use him on the weak side of formations. I think he can run with running backs and tight ends out of the backfield. I think he's more than fluid enough to do that. So uh, there's going to be plenty of teams that could use his services, especially for teams that like to play uh, or use that extra defender in that 4-2-5 defense, kind of like a rover safety uh, nickel guy. I think he can definitely be that weak side linebacker type that could fill that role. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. And if there's one person I was gushing about more in practice throughout the week, it was Penn State linebacker Cam Brown. You just don't see guys his size at 6'5", 235, play off-ball linebacker often, man. It's just kind of like a – it's like a unicorn. He's just like – is this that freak kind of player. He's an excellent athlete. His body's kind of built out of granite. I'm a huge fan of his, man. And I love that you bring up the will spot because I think that is truly his best spot in terms of one defined role for him. Because running chases is his game. So you want to you want to talk about maximizing his athleticism without making him you know really, really much of a processor as you know where the mic would really require. Uh, I, I think just having a running chase become sort of a matchup neutralizer and man coverage. You know, just let him be able to roam side on the sideline. That's his game, and I think that's where he showed the you know the most promise your last week at Mobile. So to me, Cam Brown is that kind of player. But what also intrigued me with, you know, with Jim Nagy and, and, and what they did over there was they played him a little bit at Mike. And at 6'5", yeah, really surprised. if yeah. you add 15 pounds on this guy, he could be a problem yeah. at Mike. <laughs> because his length, his ability to stack and shed, his potential, man, you give him about – Realistically, I don't think he's ready for linebacker snaps in the first year or maybe no. in the second year. But he's going to be one hell of a special teams player for you. Yep. He's a great athlete and he's a great finisher at the, at the point of attack. So you know he's going to be able to tackle, he knows he's going to be able to run. So those are the two biggest things you need to do if you're going to be in special teams. I think he's going to make a roster. I think a special teams coach is going to stay on the table for him in the fourth, fifth round range. But then he could develop into that sort of linebacker guy. Like if you play him a Mike, 
and you give him two years to put on 10 to 15 pounds, man, he could be a problem. That length and that size and that, and that sideline to sideline range, he could be a problem. And I think putting him in a, in a 3 4 inside linebacker spot, man, he could be dangerous. And I think Cam Brown, you talk about ascending player, best football is ahead of him. That's exactly what it is. Come on, look at those line, those line graphs, right? It's pointing yeah. straight up with yeah. him. And I, I cannot wait to see what team drafts him. If it's the Cowboys or if it's your Vikings, man, uh, I think both of us will be ecstatic to have him on that roster because he's like a, he's like a piece of clay that you can mold together in what you want. If you want to play Will, then you can have him be that run and chase guy. If you want to play the Mike, have him develop, have him play on special teams for the first two years and develop in that sort of player. I cannot wait to see what happens to this guy at the next level. Really excited about him. Like you said, I think his best football is ahead of him, but fit is going to be really important to him, especially for a team that likes to utilize him. And I love that he played some edge rusher down there. He he mixed it up with some offensive tackles down there in the one-on-one drill. So I love that about him just because I definitely think he could be used in some sub packages on third down. Yep. I think that's another added area to where he can use or Absolutely. a team could utilize his skill set as well. So, uh, really excited about Cam Brown and some of the other guys that we did mention in today's discussion. Of course, we did a, get a little bit off track just because that's what happens when we start talking about football and scouting in general. It's by far our favorite things to do. Uh, but before we move on and we get to my interview with Auburn offensive tackle Prince Takawanogo, I want to thank you guys once again for listening to the Locked On College Football Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, of course. Make sure to tell a friend to tell a friend to listen to the podcast. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. And once we come back from the break, we will be joined by Auburn offensive tackle Prince Tega Winogo. All right, so here with Auburn offensive tackle Prince Tega Winogo. Prince, how's everything going, man? I know you're going through a lot right now, but how's the pre-draft process treating you right now? Uh, it's, been, it's been good. It's been good so far. Uh, yeah, uh, it's just... Uh... Uh, he's just overwhelming. I'm not gonna lie. Like it's just uh, busy, busy, busy. Like it's just a lot of stuff. And um, yeah, but it's been it's been it's been a great experience so far. That's good, man. We yeah. talked briefly down at the Senior Bowl, so I want to go all the way back though. So you're from Delta State, Nigeria, correct? Yes, sir. All right. So just take me back through that entire experience of your upbringing, just what that has taught you through your experience uh, so far. Yep. Nah, it's, it's been it's been a lot. Like uh, you know, just uh coming from uh, Nigeria as a whole and uh, comes to the United States, like it's a whole different, I said the whole different world out there and uh, just coming over here and like just seeing all this, you know, this limitless opportunity in front of me and uh, yeah, he's, he's been great and uh, I've been like, I've been enjoying it so far and uh, I know, I know I've been blessed like just being here. That's good, man. So you're the son of a prince and a princess from what I was reading, correct? So tell uh, me a little. Tell me a little bit about that. My granddad. Uh, my granddad is a is a king. Well, was a king of a village back home in uh, in Delta State, Nigeria. Uh, he's more he's more like a mayor, but uh, I didn't know that. So whenever I should moved over to the United States, that's why I should understand. Actually, that or get over is uh is basically like a mayor over here. But uh, back home in Nigeria, we say king and uh, and prince and princesses. Like you know what I'm saying. So that's uh, that's how the title actually came along. Nice. So that makes you like like the prince of the throne, right? <laughs> that makes you like the prince of the throne, correct? 
<laughs> I got you. So you came over to the United States in 2014, correct? Yes, sir. So tell me about that experience and what that was like. Uh, it was uh, it was it was crazy because uh, just uh, coming coming over here, um, uh, at uh, went to a basketball camp back home in Nigeria. On uh, is uh, it's called the Ayo F Young Foundation. Um, what he, what what he does, he usually just uh host camps like basketball camps because that's his way of giving back uh to the community because uh he's uh he's a nigerian also so he comes back and try to like give back like he brings like coaches and um uh, uh equipment and all that like just uh, school supplies and all that stuff trying to help kids back home and uh he usually like uh go through basketball drills and uh it's like a, it's basically a camp and uh after the camp like they have like off the game so Coaches usually come and see like if they're actually interested, like in kids and like offering scholarship. And basically, that's how I actually got a scholarship to come to the United States to play basketball originally in my senior year. And um, played a bat, played football that season. And it turns out I was actually better playing football than basketball. So you know, I just stick to basketball, stick to football. Wow, that's really crazy. So from what I was reading, though, I heard you're a Kentucky fan. Is that correct? <laughs> so so what i originally read was that you got an offer from kentucky i believe it was your junior year and you was upset that it wasn't for basketball yeah i was actually upset because like, you know like just growing up like uh playing basketball like a lot of um just watch like a lot of like uh kentucky was like real big time like that's i mean there's still big time basketball school and um i always want to like play basketball so, yeah, at first I was like, I thought it was like, when I had the office, I thought it was basketball, and my coach was like, no, it's football. I was like, oh, okay. I was upset <laughs> about it, but, yeah. <laughs> I got you, I got you. So, we we talked briefly down at the Senior Bowl, and I had to ask you about, you know, you wanted to be an Olympic swimmer and also a basketball player growing up. So, just tell me a little bit about that. Uh, swimming, uh, I, I never thought about being an Olympic swimmer. I don't know that what that actually came from too, but uh, yeah, I always enjoy swimming. Um, and uh, yeah, basketball on the other hand, like yeah, I love playing basketball. And uh, I tell everybody because I used to boast about it. Like when, even when I came over here, like I told people I was gonna be the next LeBron James. <laughs> uh, yeah, like he was, it uh, was funny. And uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't shoot the ball. Um, but I can rebound the ball pretty good. Um, I can drive. I can, you know. I had my mid range was like okay, <laughs> so yeah, basketball was, basketball is definitely my first love. But uh, yeah, so so if Coach Pearl at Auburn would have recruited you, you would have went out there and played a little bit. Oh yeah, Coach <laughs> <laughs> Pearl, like, like you definitely go play for. I play. I do whatever that man actually asked me to do. I uh, got yeah, you. I, uh, my first year, my first year in year, I actually went to a basketball camp at Auburn, and um, it was. Um, I think they actually took like 25 kids and I think they took 20 kids or whatever, but, uh, I made, I made like, uh, first 20, 25 or whatever. And I, I, I actually knew Coach Brown pretty well. That's good stuff, man. So I want to, I want to fast forward a little bit to your time at Edgewood Academy. So you came in as mostly a basketball player from what I was reading. So, and I heard that one of your coaches down there, like made you run a 40. 
or something like yeah. that. The football coach and like he he was sold after that, and he made you play football. So just shed a little bit of light on that story. Uh, okay. Uh, when I got over here, it was uh, it was football season, and uh, yeah, I was just uh, I was I remember I was the only kid actually with uh, a bunch of like little kids like in the gym, uh, just you know. John Kennedy doing all that, and uh, they were pretty amazed about it too. But every other kid that was like out there playing football. So one day I went to the tree, I went to the tree house, and uh, everybody was over there practicing football. And uh, yeah, Coach Carl asked me if I wanted to play football, and I was like, yeah, I'll give it a try. You know, just try to stay in shape, like, and uh, not to feel like left out. So I did that, and I remember that they didn't have like a. Uh, football cleat that can actually keep my feet because uh, my feet like pretty big and wide. So <laughs> yeah, so they had like a they had like a size sixteen or fifteen and a half cleats to fit me. So as like for that for that time, I had to play with like uh, with my basketball shoes, and it made me actually run the forty on my high tennis shoes. So yeah, and uh, he was timing it. I think I run like a four or six. That's what I read. Yeah. Now I read four six four. You might be shedding yeah. it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it was like I don't, I don't know. I don't. I really didn't even know much about the time. Okay. I know I was just trying to run because that's what they said. Like I didn't really have no technique or nothing. They just, you know, put me out there like, okay, run. And someone was on the other side on the forty yard line timing it, and it was like a four six something. So yeah, I was like, there was it was a big deal to him. For me, I was just running. Yeah, I got you. I got you. So I want to fast forward a little bit, and I want to talk about Auburn. So, what made you choose Auburn? Uh, it's a, Auburn was the first uh, when I came to United States after the first game I played. Auburn was the I think that next that Saturday we had went to Auburn game. That Auburn was the first school I actually went like first college place I actually went to. Okay, and. Uh, yeah, I didn't really know much about it at first too, but um, I remember seeing Albie out there, and I remember I told my mom I was like I love I love the mascot. Yeah, he was just fun. So and the tradition, <laughs> like, I was trying to learn the tradition and all that too. Like, and they were like people were going wild, and I was like I love this. And um, I went to LSU like when I was taking my official visit. Um, I was committed to LSU, and um, I came back, um, broke my leg playing basketball. Um, then I went back to Auburn to go visit, and he just felt different. He was, uh, it was, he was, uh, it was a home atmosphere, like you know, family, and uh, everything just seemed right. Like you know, what I'm saying, like he just felt yep. so genuine, and uh, yeah, it was just, it was just easy for him. He just, he was like an easy decision for me because uh, after that, after I went back over there, and just felt everything. I was like, this is the place I was gonna come. And uh, also, besides, it was like 35 minutes away from my new family. So, yeah. So, that was like an easy decision for me. Okay, that's really good stuff, man. So, you didn't start out as an offensive tackle at Auburn, though. You played defensive line, correct? Yeah. I was, uh, I was a defensive end. I was, uh, I think my number was, uh, I think, 98. Okay. So, so yeah. what, ma- what made you make the switch to offensive tackle? another easy decision because like you know I didn't play I didn't play football for that long so Coach Miles going to ask me after the spring game of 2016 he was he asked me like what I think about playing offensive line and tackle 
super precise, and I was like, uh, I'm down for it. And uh, I was like, my, my exact word was like, whatever, whatever you want me to do, coach, I'm gonna do it. And at the same time, because I was trying to get on, the, I'm trying to have some like playing time, and uh, yeah, so I was like, coach, whatever you want, I'm gonna do it. And uh, it was, uh, it was a really easy decision for me. And uh, that was that was the switch right there. It definitely proved to be the right decision, but. What would you say was like the biggest transition, like going from defense to offense for you? What was the hardest part about it? Uh, the hardest part was probably like just you know just the playbook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the playbook, because at the same time, like it was in like defense, like when you can literally like because that's what I did. And once I actually started understanding it, like I know like because in high school that's what I did. I was just running around and actually making plays. And now I'm in college now, and I actually like. I had to learn, like, I, I had a gap. I got to protect my gap. So he was, like, way – he was uh, actually still easier. But now there's a lot that actually goes into offense. Like, you got to know who to block. You got to know, you gotta know how to block him. Um, the technique that actually comes with it. So he was, like, just a lot. And, like, you got to know the plays on the, play, the old playbook. And uh, that's – it was a lot. So, But at the same time, I actually had uh, uh, teammates of mine and um, some mentors on the old line who actually – was able to actually talk me through it and coach me through during the process too. So that was a blessing for me. That's really good stuff, man. So I want to talk about your career at Auburn a little bit now. So just talking about yourself, what would you say is your biggest strength as a player right now? Um, My biggest strength right now, um, I would say just uh, one of them probably just being uh, – pretty good in the past rocking game. I feel like I'm pretty good. I'm pretty solid um, in protecting um, the quarterback. Um, running game, I'm pretty solid in the run game. It's something I got to work on also. But I feel like as a whole, like, I don't, my biggest struggle would probably be that. And I know that's for a fact there's a lot of stuff I need to work on too as a player. And, um, but for that, but I would just probably just say that and being able to like to use my hands pretty well. Gotcha. You you took my next question right from me. So I was going to ask what was your biggest weakness and you already answered that. But the next question I want to ask you, I'm going to ask you two more questions, then we'll get out of here. When did the NFL really become a reality reality to you? Uh, I'll probably, it'll probably be um, when I actually had my first start, start okay. at the SEC, uh, when I was actually named the starter in uh, 2017. Uh, at the left tackle position, uh, that was uh, that's where basically I actually felt like, oh, I might actually have a shot like doing this and actually, you know, going to the next level with this. Gotcha. So, because because uh, yeah, I like you know, what I mean, like growing up, like I, I wasn't, I wasn't like any other kids in the United States who actually had the dream. All my teammates, like, because they'd be playing like since they were like little and they had the dreams and you know like playing at the next level I wasn't like those kids like one of the reasons I started playing football in the first place was actually getting my education and um that's what, something I actually promised my mom too like I was going because she wasn't going to let me play but I told her I was going to get my education for from that and uh, yeah so that was that was that was never like the goal for me but then again like it actually became a reality and I actually saw okay this is something I can actually do and I'm actually good at it, okay at it. So at the same time, I'm going to do it, and that's what that's what I love about love about playing sports because I I want to compete at every level. So if it's football, I'm going to compete. So that's what it is. Gotcha. So what did you actually get your degree in? 
Uh, interdisciplinary studies. Uh, I want to be a coach whenever I get done playing. Gotcha. Makes sense. So you played in the SEC, and we know how tough it is, man. You're going against so many talented guys and future NFLers every single week. But who would you say is the best player that you played against in your career? Uh, in my career, like as a whole. As a whole. I would say, I would say uh, um, the kid from um, Clemson, Killen Farrell. Gotcha. Cleveland Farrell, yep. Yeah. Good player. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, I remember uh, 2017 season. Uh, yeah, I literally got destroyed by that kid. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. uh, I won't say I actually had my own, but at the same time, like, uh, I feel there's a lot of experience I actually needed to come Absolutely. from that. Yeah, and I actually, at that point, I, I didn't have that experience. And, uh, yeah, he shows, too, like, just on film. And um, after playing that game, that's something I actually went back. And I was like, I'm not going to let someone actually do that to me ever again. Gotcha. Now, what about last year, this past season? Who would you say is the best player that you matched up against? Uh, as a whole? Yes. Uh, I'd probably go I'd probably go with Marlon Davidson. Okay. My yeah, I'd go Marlon Davidson or Derek Brown. There's like the best player, but say from from another team, uh, there's a couple guys who actually like I feel like that was actually pretty good. Uh, I say, mm, what's the key name from um, Georgia? He's a, he's a junior. He's a, he was a, he was pretty solid. Uh, Malik Aaron. Ah, I got you. Uh, yeah, good player. Yeah, he was a, he was a, he was a, he was pretty solid. Um, I give a point. I give a point pressure. Okay. So, yeah, from that game, uh, and he was against them, and um, I say that pretty much. Yeah, those okay. Okay, you must you must be looking at my notes, man, because you took my last question from me, and I was gonna ask you like <laughs> just going against that D line in practice, Derek Brown, you know, Marlon Davidson, Big Cat Brian. What's it like going yeah. against those guys every day? No, that that does actually does a uh, that actually makes you actually better player and a better uh, person too because at the same time like there's a guys who are actually going to come off the field like they're going to like joke with you laugh at you but whenever like he actually you put the ball down like it's a whole another like level like they're taking like they're bringing it every day like and you know you know all the defense and uh, Marlon like Marlon's someone who actually like I feel like this year like you go way better this year yeah. that's what it is and I feel like at the same time like we just we made ourselves better as a player, like as a unit too, like just the line and just our line, like we just made ourselves better. That's good stuff, man. But once again, I want to thank you so much for joining me, man. It was a pleasure, and you know, from uh, from the bottom of my heart, I want to wish you wish you nothing from the nothing but the best. I'm a big fan of yours, man. I think you have sky high potential. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. Bro. No problem.